my identity is with my people here on the Northern Shine Reservation. I'm very proud because every day I'm reminded of, of our victory. Because right now I'm still here. But we've been subdued into this lifestyle we're in and we're having a real hard time adjusting to it. Our men folk lost our role as a warrior, protector, provider. Our spirit has been stripped. We've been stripped of our language. We've been stripped of our way of life. And my grandfather, he always used to tell me, if you want to address the problem, address its roots. That's why I'm here now. I work for the Northern Shine tribe, and this is the checkpoint security. We keep track of occupants, plate numbers, and activity. Law enforcement is pretty poor at their job right now. A lot of families have been let down because of their neglect over my people. My role as a man, a shine man in general, you protect the women and you protect the children and the elders. Always be ready because you never know if an enemy is going to come. We have predators, child molesters, rapists that see the opportunity to prey on a, a vulnerable female. We only get one life and we're only passing through here. But right now, we've kind of become hopeless. But that's the worst thing you can do. Don't give up. It's 2022. It's been two years since Selena's case. It's been three years since Caesar's and four since Henny's. I've seen more representation of the movement in the media than I have ever seen before. You know, five, six years ago, we weren't getting any news coverage for these cases asking me about the necklace I'm wearing. It it's represents beautiful. all indigenous women who went missing. 466 indigenous women and girls were reported missing. She went missing two years ago. Her death is part of a pattern for murdered indigenous women. I'll see MMIW on t-shirts in music videos are in the new season of Dexter. You know, like mainstream media. We had a helicopter fly over. We had people walk in. What these families really did was help solidify Bighorn County's murdered and missing indigenous women's movement nationwide. This movement was so loud and it was so strong, you would think that change would happen. But 
nothing really became of it. Nobody has answers. We don't know anything more than the day those girls died. We've heard nothing on Selena. And as far as I know, her case is sitting in evidence at the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office, where her dad now works as the undersheriff. And there's still no movement. When I took the oath in Bighorn County, Montana, I made the personal decision and the professional decision to insulate myself from any investigations because I, as a law enforcement officer, cannot compromise an investigation that may or may not be ongoing. When I resigned as an undersheriff, the sheriff, Lawrence Big Hair, I think he wanted a Native American undersheriff. And Leroy was a good choice at the time. The sheriff, he can, he can appoint you and unappoint you the next day, and he doesn't have to tell you why, and I didn't ask him why. I was actually relieved. I mean, if you can imagine the pressure that you felt from just that one case. Today, in the Selena Not Afraid case, the investigation is pretty much complete. There's nothing left to look into. In fact, Bighorn County gave the whole case to another agency to look at it, and they went through it with a fine-tooth comb to see what we should have done, could have done, would have done, or if there's anything illegal or immoral or anything else wrong with the case, and they came back with nothing. She died of hypothermia. They tried to say hypothermia, but when we were at the rest area looking, she wasn't there. Because that's what it is, they took her back. There's all kinds of roads back there on that little section she was found. So there is a way they got there and they dumped her and she was right there by that cut across just a few feet off of the road. I suspected that somebody abducted her right away. I knew that because we couldn't find her. To my knowledge of what law enforcement shared with me on that day, that was the official cause of death, hypothermia. And I'm not gonna dive into conspiracy theories or bullshit on what everyone is saying in social media. There's nothing I can do today that's gonna bring back my daughter. There's a lot of corruption here. We can't get nothing done. You can get killed real easily around here and there will be no investigation. We're probably never gonna know the 100% truth about what happened to each of these girls. But the factors that played into the situations that they were put in the night that each of one of them died, we know the social problems, the uh, family problems. And when we think about everything that's happened in the grand scheme of things, we wouldn't have these social issues if we didn't have those first initial ones. All of that played directly into social problems that are happening now.
And all of that goes right back to those initial days of being placed on reservations. The historical causes of a lot of the dysfunctions that we see today, it was born in colonization, it was born in these federal policies to work towards terminating Indian nations. Kill the Indians, save the man. If they couldn't kill the Indians away, they were going to kill the spirit and make sure that they no longer had that cultural connection and could just be assimilated into mainstream society. The legacy of Indian boarding schools is, is a perfect example of that. Boarding schools is where we see some of the first heartbreaking stories of missing and murdered Indian children. Children being taken away and never seen again. Parents not knowing what happened to their children. Missing and murdered indigenous women and girls started with boarding schools. Starting in the early 1860s, Boarding schools were run by the federal government, but also the religious boarding schools, Baptist boarding schools, Catholic boarding schools. There were several agents that crows feared. They would steal kids, and they were called kid catchers. They would literally strip the kids from the homes at very early ages. I mean, we're talking like five, six years old, and ship them off to the boarding schools. boarding schools wanted to get rid of the native way of life. If they spoke their language, they were beaten. If they tried singing a song that, that we had, they, they were beaten. My great-grandmother, her name was Jenny Badhorse. The agents came and they took her to a boarding school and the meat they ate was spoiled meat. And she was so used to it that even in her old age, she would make the meat turn a little bit and that's the way she ate it. And so it was sad, and she would talk about how she couldn't speak her language. We lost our way of life, our clan system, our songs, our dances, our language, our norms, mores, because of boarding school. So there was some success on behalf of the U.S. government trying to do away with native way of life. The people in charge of the schools molested our children, generations of children being subjected to sexual assault, and then coming back into our communities. Those traumas and these cycles of abuse were carried forward. And so the molestation that they uh, were subjected to goes into generations carrying that. For a lot of people, these cycles of abuse are hard to break. There was entire generations of Crow people that were taught not how to be mothers and fathers because they were raised by the schools. So th this idea of loving homes and all of that goes right out the window. When you raise a society with those kinds of social issues in survival mode, their kids grow up with those same issues. Typically there'd be one parent or no parents, kids living with grandparents. Even if their parents were in the house, they weren't raising their kids. Kids would be raising themselves. Not to the extent that I see these days, but the amount of broken families, children on their own, 
and the overall dysfunction, it just was everywhere. It becomes a self-destructive cycle of shame and degradation amongst the people, which is exactly what the government wanted. They wanted us to self-destruct. And we didn't self-destruct, we just learned how to live within the dysfunction. It's heavy, it's hard, and it's heartbreaking. These families, they're still trying to heal from the heartache. So much of it is this generations of trauma that we haven't had the opportunity to heal from. And this ongoing lack of feeling that we have value in the world. And we internalize that. We see it play out in higher rates of domestic violence in our communities, these cycles of abuse, these cycles of addiction. So I think we, we start to see this native on native violence. When a crime is committed in the Native community, sometimes it's easier for us to blame an outsider coming in than it is to really look inwardly and say, okay, we're doing a lot of stuff to ourselves too. We can be the villain of our own stories as well. When we look at the Henny Scott case, Kaysara stops pretty places and Selena Not Afraid cases. I think that if there is any foul play, then it would have been someone that the girls knew. The night in question when that happened, those are all people in the Native community. The three girls, Henny Scott is found dead, and yet she was at a house party. Okay, Sarah stops in three places. She was at a house party and found dead in the next yard. And Selena was at a house party and found dead out in the field. It all goes together. I believe local Indian men lure young girls there to come and party with them and uh, get them drunk and stuff. And somebody will suddenly disappear. They're Native Americans doing this to each other. The proud people are doing it to themselves. We're not supposed to do that. We do have situations where our own tribal members are committing acts of violence against other tribal members. In a lot of Native communities, there is this idea that there's this white boogeyman, that there's someone from the outside that's coming in to harm us. And the majority of the violence that our Native women are subjected to is from non-Native people, but to some extent, we've started to internalize some of that and do these things to our own people. But I think the main vulnerability really is this hole for accountability in our Native communities. All too often, when the victim is an Indian person, just falls through the cracks. What we do here really feels like a war, like the trauma that we go through. And I feel like it's exacerbated 
when we add in a murdered and missing persons crisis in Bighorn County. My crow name translates to keeps things good. I've never actually tried to live up to this name, but somehow along the way I have. Sharing their stories is so important and I'm doing my part as you know, an indigenous woman and as a journalist to inform and protect. Well, nearly two years after the body of a Crow tribal woman was found face down in the backyard of a hardened home, the Bighorn County attorney says the death of 18-year-old Kaysera stops at pretty places is not forgotten and is still under investigation. We waited and finally, almost two years to the day, Kaysera went missing. The county attorney released a public report. It was pretty vague. There wasn't a lot of detail in it. There were no names. And we're not quite sure if there was an investigation into the people involved in her last days. We know that testimony was taken. They were questioned. We know that. But we don't know how far the investigation went into those people. 18-year-old Kaysera Stops Pretty Places went missing on August 24th, 2019. Five days later, her body was found by a jogger along Mitchell Avenue. This one is Kaysera's memorial, but she was found on the other side of the fence. Due to the decomposition, they had to go into dental records to identify her officially. The cause and manner of death are undetermined. There's still a lot of mystery surrounding this case. But at the same time, I don't think that that sheriff's office has ever been equipped for a murder investigation. Would you mind taking some over? I don't mind at all. Okay, great. Would you take two? You need to take. Okay. I think four. I think it would do four. Okay, Sarah was the first case I took on in Montana. That really opened my eyes to how many barriers are in place to a family who's fighting to get justice. Do you want justice for Kisera? Is that what you want? Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is a family who has worked tirelessly and advocated tirelessly, and they still can't get a law enforcement agency to undertake an actual investigation. All these names out here, right? These are all our relatives who are missing or murdered. I know every single family here who's lost a loved one has had doors slammed in their face. You've had law enforcement refuse to talk to you. After Kisera's murder in 2019, we were writing letters and emails and phone calls to the Dogan County Sheriff's Office and the FBI saying, hey, here are the names of the people who last saw her. And really nothing was ever done. And so we're not going away, right? We're going to keep demanding justice until we get the justice that we deserve. Bighorn County Sheriff's Office might claim to have investigated the people Kaysera was with the night she went missing. I don't have the evidence to indicate they actually did. Today is May 5th. It's a national day of awareness for missing and murdered Indigenous persons. 
President Biden has proclaimed it to be a national day. The rally that was happening here today was organized by Yolanda Frazier. She's Kaysera's paternal grandmother. She invited all the families in Bighorn County who have lost a loved one to demand justice for all of the 44 victims who have been murdered or gone missing in this area. So in your case with the family of Kaysera, what are the next steps? We had our first meeting with an agent from the missing murder unit this morning. Mm -hmm. This unit was actually started during President Trump's administration. It was called Operation Lady Justice Task Force. This office had our letter asking them to investigate Kaysera's case. It took a year and a half for them to agree to just talk to the family. Secretary Holland became the first Native secretary in the history of the Department of Interior. She transformed it into the missing and murdered unit. At the Department of Interior, we will have a missing and murdered unit um, that will focus specifically on this crisis. We're being told by President Biden and Secretary Holland that this unit of BIA officers, the MMU, is what's going to solve the problem for missing and murdered Indigenous persons. Did anything new or fruitful come out of that meeting? He engaged. He was very respectful. He listened to everything they had to say and, and then sort of was very honest and, and said that there really isn't anything at this time that the MMU can do since her body was found outside of federal jurisdiction because it was 300 yards off the border of the Crow Reservation. If the Binghorn County Sheriff's Office were to say, MMU, we want your help, then the MMU would investigate her murder. But then the Binghorn County Sheriff's Office is refusing to consent to that, and that's why the MMU can't do anything for Kaysera's family. What is the point of the MMU if you're not going to work on cases where local law enforcement sometimes is corrupt or prejudiced or doesn't prioritize or value Native lives? And so when is the federal government going to show up and when are they going to work on these cases? Because um, we, just, we just continued to lose Native lives out here. We've got a murder of an 18-year-old girl that no one's investigating. Everyone's trying to blame everyone else or say, oh, it's not my responsibility because it's 300 yards off of where my responsibility starts. Even in this administration, with a president that says he really cares about this issue, we're still being told, no, we can't help you. No, there's nothing we can do. Okay, Sarah's life ended in 2019, but there's still information out there that can be found. There are still people that know what happened to her that can be talked to. For Sarah, it, it was so tragic. I mean, it happened so fast and quick that we never expected to lose her the way we did. Mm -hmm. I want closure. Yeah. I do want closure for Sarah. She deserves it. She deserves justice. So I know this is probably going to be difficult, but I wanted to talk to you about the timeline of events that happened when Kaysera went missing. Well, she, see, she went out August 24th. She had her best friend with her. Her name was Nikia. And at the time we had Isabella Villegas living with us. She's my cousin and they wanted to take her out. Like, okay, well, I want you guys back at midnight. They went out, and Kaysera never came home. 
one of the things that I had read in the public report was that there were people in a driveway along the houses in the area. Yeah, because she was at a house next door from where her body was found. And they were there with a male who was the one that provided the alcohol. Do you know that man's name? Natosi Summers. Do you know where he's from? His mother is Crow. His father, he's from a different tribe. I don't know exactly. But his mother is the one that has the house in town there. I mean, Rangeview. In Sarah's case, I want to know who she was with the night that she died and what they were doing. I want to know why she was in that yard and why she just laid down and died. What could have possibly happened and how could it be undetermined? That's where Natosi lives with his grandmother. Melissa, it's Luella, Bryn calling. I just wanted to give you an opportunity to see if Natosi wanted to talk to me. And He's not a minor, but Natosi's mom, she's the family spokesperson. She's a lawyer. I think this one is difficult because there's been so much rumor and conjecture surrounding it. And the people that I'm trying to pin down are people that th those rumors are about. I'm on my way to Lodgegrass. Nakia spotted her lives just outside of town. And she was one of the people that was last seen with Kaysera Stops Pretty Places. And she's actually agreed to give me an interview. She has not spoken to media at all. So what I get from Nakia today will be completely new information for the public. Okay. Thank you for coming. I really appreciate it. Okay. Tell me about the night that you lost her. So it's August 24th, Saturday night. When you got to her house, what was the plan? I was there with Kaysera and Isabella. We were just gonna wait till the night time and set out. To do party and Drink. Isabella, she said that her baby daddy and Natosi could be a buyer. Oh, okay. So we went to his house. So that would be you, Kisara, Isabella, and Natosi? Yeah. 
And then what happens after that? We were just drinking, and Isabella and Natosi, we could hear them arguing downstairs. And then he came and grabbed her. Mm-hmm. But he was just holding on to her, and she didn't know what to do because she was trying to pull away from him. So Kaysara stepped in and was like, hey, leave her alone, quit doing that. She don't have to stay. We walked out the house, and I remember he ran down the road and he grabbed her and was like trying to say sorry and ask her to stay. And I remember at the end of the road, we got in front of that house and they were yelling around at each other and then me and Kizara didn't know what to do because like they weren't listening to us yet. Yeah. And then that's when I looked over and then that car was like going like locking and unlocking. And then a cop went by and it like scared us. Everyone just kind of panicked and started taking off. We kind of just all lost each other and I was hiding under a truck. I waited there for a while. That's when Isabella was like, where's Kaysera? And I was like, I don't know. We were yelling her name and she wasn't saying nothing and then we didn't see her anywhere. We started to walk back to Natosi's house, and then Natosi was pulling out of his driveway. And when he saw us, he started going faster and kind of chased us with his truck. So where did you guys go then? We ran through these houses, and he was following us in the alleys and stuff, and it scared us. We like cut around that house and hid into these bushes, and then we saw him drive by, and he drove by real fast, like he was looking for us. We saw him go back to his house. And then that's when Isabella started crying. I'm scared, I wanna go back. And then that's when I just said, well, Kesara will probably go back home. She's smart. She always she always comes back, she'll be back. So we took off back to Priscilla's house. When you guys were yelling for her, you were still in that immediate area where the house was and you didn't hear anything. You didn't hear her rustling in bushes. You didn't hear, there was no response. Oh my goodness. What kind of stuff did you know about Natosi before this night? I don't really think I knew who he was. I don't think I ever met him or heard about him. want to do is either speak to Natosi or speak to Isabella to tell their stories. Reaching them is incredibly difficult because I had texted Natosi's mom previously. She said she would think about possibly letting him do an interview. Hi, it's Luella. I was just wondering if you had given any more thought to an interview with Natosi. I just want to make sure I give you every opportunity to have that interview.
I texted his mother one more time, and she wasn't too pleasant in her response. Basically, I shouldn't bother them. His family says he didn't do anything to her. I have nowhere to the Bighorn County Courthouse. I gotta fill out a couple forms to get public information for um, Sarah's case. I hear a lot of outcry from the public about how the county attorney's office is not doing their job. But I see lack of investigation on part of the sheriff's office. Because that's where any county attorney's office is going to get their evidence. Hi, this message is for Jeremy Middlestead. I'm writing a story about the um, Kisara Stops Pretty Places case, and I wanted to get some input from you. Jeremy Middlestead took the initial police report for the disappearance of Kisara. Trying to talk to law enforcement is like pulling teeth, it's incredibly difficult. Nobody in the Bighorn County Sheriff's Office would ever even return your calls to do an interview with you while they're still employed there. They just wouldn't do it. I'm in Idaho. I'm not in Montana anymore. So, you know, their tentacles can't reach me here. I'd have never done it in Montana. Never. The Sheriff's Office in Bighorn County would have retribution against you if you spoke up. They'd just make your life hell there. You'd have to move. I don't appear today in my official capacity as the undersheriff for Bighorn County, Montana. I came to the conclusion that I would have to come in my personal capacity as a dad. The Bighorn County sheriffs really are hands off when it comes to the media. BIA and FBI has a no media policy in place for unsolved cases. So law enforcement hasn't given anyone any clarity. The mailbox is full and cannot accept any messages at this time. Kisera's case is one of many cases they have mishandled and failed to investigate. Still to this day, there's evidence there that hasn't been collected. There are witnesses that haven't been interviewed. But knowing what we know about this sheriff's office and this criminal justice system in Montana, I think law enforcement will leave it where it is unless we build up enough public pressure and momentum that requires them to do their job. But it is a crisis in Indian country. You have jurisdictional issues. And oftentimes in border towns, you've got law officers and sheriffs who do not respect Native lives and have no desire to do anything to save a Native life or to investigate who may have murdered a Native woman or girl. Nearly a thousand people made their way down 27th Street, finishing at the Yellowstone County Courthouse lawn. Murdered and missing women have gone on far before it has come to attention. I've had to decide if I was going to stay quiet or if I was going to stay loud because there's so many that haven't been brought back. 
I have to be here. I have to be advocating. If I don't, who will? When they close your case and put it in a file cabinet, that's a bad thing. So that's why you keep advocating for your loved ones. Keep saying their names because once their names are forgotten, once you stop, they're done. In a lot of our traditions, they're told, forget about them, you don't talk about them, you let them go. Why would you forget about somebody? Why would you, why would you want to do that? We've got families 25, 30 years later finally able to say, hey, what about my sister? What about my mom? Our life without Henny was very hard. I can't mourn her death because the anger I feel. Don't give up on Shakaya. Her being so strong-willed, she's still fighting. And I hope that she knows that we're still fighting for her. Kisera deserves justice. She would take the shirt off of her back to help others. Why couldn't they do that for her? Selena shouldn't have gone through this. There should be justice for her more than what she got. Since these doors back here are closed to us, the justice that we need, answers that we need, we don't get it. I just want to tell everybody, don't give up, don't give up. I want justice. I want to keep pushing and get these officials to do the job that they're supposed to be doing. This is what Kay Sarah would have been doing. If she was an advocate for anybody that was an underdog. I didn't know who to go to. I didn't know what to do in my situation. And it, it took a while. I believe if it didn't take that long that we would have found her and she would have still been with us. I have no faith in the, our justice system. When I pass that sign of Henny's, I want to find justice for her, that she didn't pass for nothing. She's spreading awareness. I want her to be remembered. May 5th is National Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Awareness Day. There are many events across the country to highlight the huge problem facing Native American communities. It's just light and dark. It's like out of the worst, most horrifying thing that could ever happen, we're able to see this community of mothers and families who have lost their loved ones coming together and offering each other support. And the love that we show each other as community members through this is that light. When push comes to shove, our people are resilient, our people care about each other, um, and we, we support each other. I don't ever come over here. I don't think your grandma and papa ever come here either. You know how your papa had a sister? Her name was Beverly, Beverly Diane, and everybody called her Dee Dee. When they found her, they found her over here, somewhere between the cattle chutes and the fence. Gosh, she was 16. 
will not happen to her. And your grandparents, they won't. They won't really talk about it. Come over here. Come stand by me. Do you know why they don't talk about it? It's sad. In my family, I don't think my parents have come to a place of acceptance yet for what happened to my dad's sister. I don't think that any of us can tell them it's okay. I mean, we've tried. I think they hold on to a lot of guilt. And I don't think that, um, I don't think they'll ever get there, really. People who have lost a family member tragically like this, there's a guilt associated with moving on. If they move through their grief, then they're forgetting that person. They were one of the last people that saw her. I think that's why I'm so overly protective of you guys, because I'm so scared something's going to happen. My daughter's going to be 13 and has already had a target on her. Just simply by being born a female native in this area. That in itself makes me fearful, but it also makes me more vigilant as a parent. Everything really that I do with her is based in situational awareness and keeping her safe. And that feeling of being in danger goes back. My generation, my mother's generation, my grandmother's generation, it makes up who we are. I feel like it's part of the fabric of Native women in this community. We grow up thinking that survival is culture. And pretty soon, we're doing things that we think are cultural practices when really they're just survival techniques. We have to think, okay, what can we do to preserve what we have left and figure out what to do to thrive? I think sometimes we're trying to find a non-Indian solution for a native problem. The majority of us don't look to our culture for the answer. Traditionally, we believe that tribal members hold value. That you're something. That you have self-respect, that you were made by the most powerful thing in our universe. That they took mud from the ground and the creator breathed into it. 
and then placed life into it and said, the people on top of the ground. So at that point, it's no longer a male and a female thing. We hold value, you know, we're something. Then he said, you're the ones beside me. That's not a place to be discarded. If we just return to those values, Nobody can be hurt within that system because the traditional Crow value places the woman at a very high position. Pre-colonization, violence against Native women was not tolerated. Our communities, our tribes held perpetrators accountable. And in the very few instances when it did happen, it was addressed. Because women form the backbone of our communities, their safety forms the foundation for the safety of our communities. When we protect our Native women, we're able to protect our families. It extends out. We're able to see strong communities, strong nations. Success in all aspects of our community comes from the home and the home being a safe place. It's time that we go back to our traditional teachings that women are sacred, that violence does not have a place in our community. In order for us to have hope, we have to see a future that doesn't include murdered and missing Indigenous women and girls. I can't see that future yet. But these stories have to be told. These girls were incredibly bright, talented, and worthy of living, not because they were Native women, not because they were somebody's daughter, but simply because they were human beings and we're all worthy of living. We're all worthy of a good life because we're human. <laughs> 